You are listening to South Niagara Conversations, a podcast presented by the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, along with 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM. Here are your hosts, Dolores Fabiano and Scott Lunn. All right. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to our South Niagara Conversation Series. It's been a while. I hope you've all had a wonderful summer and got a little bit of rest in. Um, joining me is my co-host, uh, Scott Lund, General Manager of 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM. Scott, great to see you again. How have you been, my friend? Doing very well, Dolores. Great to see you, too. And uh, yeah, surviving and doing well. Thank you. Good, good. This morning, we have a great conversation lined up to uh, kickstart our, um, our latest season. Um, we're going to be talking about labor and employment retention. It's an issue that a number of our local businesses are dealing with, um, and they've been asking us a lot of questions. I think this morning we might get some answers. Scott, who do we have joining us this morning? I think we will get answers this morning. This morning, we're very fortunate to have Thalia Simplonius from the Niagara Workforce Training Board with us and Alou McCabe from Trusted Time. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Hello. We're, we're going to be looking at a survey that was worked on that uh, everyone was involved in in the spring. Uh, and the survey was geared towards uh, employees. And I understand that we have, that you had a very good response to your survey. And maybe we'll start off with a loop. You can just kind of walk us through the survey itself. Hi, yes. Um, good morning, everyone. So we did the survey and we got 570 responses just from the region alone. And what that tells us is people were interested in the survey. They wanted to have a voice. They wanted to share their thoughts. And the survey was really to measure um how people felt in their employment situation, and also to be able to show some data that fulfillment or breach of expectations and their psychological contract mattered in retention. It mattered in engagement. Um, and the, you know, and, and the reason we're doing this is pre-COVID, we already had a retention problem. We already had an engagement problem and we chalked it up to, or not we, I, I say we loosely, there were a lot of people and business owners, quite frankly, who chalked it up to the person itself. Well, the data shows us different. And that's why we had to pull the survey so we could actually put a mirror up and say, hey, we need to change our leadership style um, because there is a dramatic impact. So with all the responses that we had, it supports um, other cities, other continents, other countries, because human relations is human relations. Now throw in the caveat of the pandemic, and guess what? We really need to know a new wave leadership because whatever our problems were before, it was just magnified and the data supports that. Right, okay. And what were, uh, Thalia, what were some of the highlights that come that stuck out, uh, that come to mind first from this survey? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I'll kind of put it into the context of work that we've done historically as well and why, why it's so important, this work that Alou has been working on. So for the past few years, we've conducted workforce-facing surveys with the goals primarily being looking at barriers to employment. So getting into the details of why people are having difficulty finding jobs, employee attraction strategies. So what draw people in and to apply to a job posting, 
And we've also taken a look at employer retention strategies. So what is it about a job or a workplace that's important to staying in this place of work? And we know that what, what attracts you to a job and what retains you to a job um, tend to differ. So prior to the pandemic, we saw things like compensation, the meaningfulness of work um, that you're engaged in and non-compensation benefits are really things that draw you in. But what retains you are, you know, personal satisfaction, culture of dignity and respect in the workplace, feeling valued by your peers and managers are important to staying. And this, this is pre-pandemic. So as Alou's saying, it's not a new phenomenon, but the pandemic certainly has exacerbated um, maybe the trends we've been seeing, or at least just highlighted even more conversation around, you know, what is workforce attraction, but maybe more importantly, what does workforce retention look like? And the survey kind of allows us to look at the human well-being of the workforce and what's important for job seekers, employees, but also employers. Yeah, so I, I have a copy of the, obviously, I was aware of the survey because we participated in it and we were a partner, um, but I'm looking at the results in front of me. And I think one of the things um, that we looked at, and, and I'll read directly, um, was we examined how employee perceptions of employers breach slash fulfillment of obligations um, made to their employees, whether written or implied, plays a role in workforce engagement. So I think the first thing that we have to clarify is what are those obligations beyond that paycheck? I, I think we just have to, you know, explain what those obligations are because I don't think it's clear to everyone what it is beyond that, you know, um, um, monetary compensation. Um, if I can jump in. So the mediating factor, um, so the mediating factor is trust and perceived fairness. And, and the main participants in this is the immediate supervisors, which the data shows us um, has a leading role even over the owners and organizational support. So there's a clear link and correlation between a healthy psychological contract and supervisors. The attitudinal skills that were measured on the survey um, were about job insecurity, job satisfaction, uh, work-life interference, self-efficacy. There's a whole slew of things that were measured. Why? Because that relates to engagement and organizational citizenship behavior. What does that mean? If all those items are fulfilled, I am now satisfied in my role. I am happy with all these things that have been happening. I am more engaged. But how do I get happy? Well, I come for an interview. I shake your hand. You like me. I like you. We have an agreement. Some of that is on paper. Some of that is not. What is not on paper, especially, you know, with small to medium-sized businesses where they may not have an HR, fractional HR, those discussions fill the gaps that I have in my head. So it's the, you know, it's, it's what I think our agreement is. So in the delivery of the deal, your part of the deal as the employer, did you fulfill that or did you breach that? And that is perceptive. That's why in leadership, we have to be so careful what we're saying, how it's perceived, how are we going to be getting this person from employability? Let's take that great, great, um, asset. What that means is I don't need to be here. You know, someone else is going to hire me because I'm good at what I do. I know this. That's part of self-efficacy. If as a supervisor or as a leader, I am meeting the delivery of the deal in your head, guess what? You're going to stay. 
if I'm not, you're going to look to go somewhere else. And it starts very, very minutely in what we call a minor breach, right? Where, hey, he kind of said this, but didn't do this. Or he said this, how am I supposed to take this? Or she said this, whatever gender we're referring to is irrelevant. It's just who the deliverer of the message is, right? That breach continues to grow. Because we're not addressing it and we don't address it because we don't know the indicators to it. We don't know that this particular attitude relates to this, right? In pre, pre-COVID and pre-crisis, employers would view it as that's not my problem. That's the employee's problem. He's got to adjust to my way. Well, that's not so much the case anymore. It's a new way. And if we don't understand how to measure those attitudes and how to identify them and how to have the correct language, of course, we're going to be in the same boat we were always because we're not learning the new way of leadership. So this is making me a little anxious because what you're saying is we have to understand how each employee is perceiving um, that, that agreement right? And, and every employee is going to be different. So it's not like you can create a policy that's going to work, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's going to work for every employee that you have. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. so it's not cookie cutter, right? However, there are attitudinal scales we can measure. There are behaviors that are indicative of a breach or fulfillment. What that breach or fulfillment is unique. What is not unique is it's either a breach or it's a fulfillment. Quite frankly, if the breach continues, it'll be really obvious. And now it's turned to violation. That's where you have the turnover intention or intention to quit is because we didn't address the attitudes and behaviors that were already evident prior. And why didn't we address them? We didn't know how to. We're not knowledgeable in it. We didn't have the training for it. And if it wasn't important before, there is an urgency to learn it today because Competition is stiff, and we know that engagement, there's a direct link to engagement and competitiveness. If an employee is engaged, you can leverage them. If you leverage your employees or your staff or your team members, you have a competitive edge. But you can only leverage engaged employees. Well, how are you going to get them to engagement if you can't even identify the attitudes and behaviors associated with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I know? Can I jump in, too? Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. And so, Ella, you make great points. And I think some of those like unwritten contracts you're mentioning are things like we did ask about, right? So these expectations would be like having a secure job, being able to participate in decision making, have a good working atmosphere, being fairly treated by managers and supervisors. Those are some of the things that were asked. And, you know, if you've perceived those as fulfilled, great. But if not, that's where you're starting to see that breach uh, in the contract, right? Whether it's written or implied. Right? 100%. And, and just to add one of the one of the questions we asked, do you feel happy, angry, pleased, violated, disappointed, grateful? I had people saying, what do I care? People actually said, why should I care if they're happy? Well, I will tell you, you do because it translates. If they're disappointed and you say, it's not my problem, well, you know, more power to you, that means you've got a slew of employees waiting in line to work for you, which I know is not the case. That is fact. It's not the case globally. So we have to be concerned with employees' perceptions. It is a necessity. And this concept of psychological contracts, just so everybody's aware, was an afterthought in the 1960s. 
And then it was really, really researched and sought after from the 1980s. So this is not a new concept and we need to catch up because the rest of the world is there. Yeah. We just need to catch up. Yeah. So I want, I want to go back to the survey, just so much that we need to talk about here. Um, so I want to go back to the survey and talk about if, if Talia, you can walk us through, I, because some of the, the findings were a little surprising to me. Um, so what were the most important retention factors? Um, if you could just walk us through that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, for some of, like Alu was saying, having trust and having like being treated fairly were, are very important in terms of retention, but also like simply feeling like your employer has fulfilled those obligations that you're expecting them to, like, those are important, um, which align with some of our prior work. You know, you're working in a place where your work is valued. You feel like you are an important part of your workplace. Um, you're valued by uh, peers, your supervisor, they're helpful. Um, you feel supported and that you're valued. Um, for me, I think that was one of the big takeaways that I saw come out of the results that, you know, workplace culture is very important. Right. So, and so, yeah, go ahead, Scott. No, I, I was just, just on, on you know, as, as to making uh, employees feel important and from an employee, an employer perspective, you know, training for this kind of stuff for employers has been going on forever, right? Like there's foundation courses, it's, you know, whatever, rules of discipline, you know, there's lots of it out there. But what is, how important is training to the employee to feel valued and to have to be part of the buy-in process? Um, Go ahead. Go for it, Alou. This this is up your alley. (laughs) (laughs) This is different because it's a different concept. When we have leadership training, we train people on effective communication, there's training on discipline, there's training on, you know, positive work environment. What we're not addressing are implied conversations, implied contracts, implied relationships that are causing concern um, in people or or happiness in people. Here's the biggest issues. As a leader, I don't necessarily know because I'm untrained, for example, I don't necessarily know why Dolores is mad today or she's in a bad mood. Am I even addressing it? Dolores was this great star performer. We hired her. She was great for six months. After six months, I'm seeing this decline. As a, as a business owner, I've heard people say, well, that was short-lived. Maybe we should just look at something someone else not identifying what caused it. It's a different type of leadership because as a leader, it is our job to understand how attitudes and behaviors in the workplace are linked to our leadership style. The, it was a one-way leadership before. If I do all these things, I should have all these results. If I don't have all these results, it's the employee's fault. Research tells us that's not true. Research tells us that what we say, how we say it, you know, like Thalia keeps talking about support, which is which is true and feeling involved. And conversely, well, not conversely, really, but 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 the other side of that is saying, I have a concern and you as an employer have dismissed it. It's still a concern. It's still my concern. So if you don't take that five minutes and explain why I should or shouldn't have that concern and what we're going to do about it, it's going to stew in my head. It's going to stew in my head and it's going to continue to stew till it blows up. 
And guess what? Then I'm either leaving or staying or I'll stay and be your worst employee. But now I've been there for 20 years and you can't get rid of me because it's going to cost you a lot of money. It's a reality. So I know this. Now, wouldn't it be better as an employer if I understood how to turn that person around? How do I adjust that breach? How do I have the right conversations to reset expectations? That is the component that's different today. And I will say recent studies have shown that COVID-19, the pandemic in general, has created an involuntary breach. It's created a mistrust. It's created this, this dynamic that never existed before on both sides of the fence, right? I don't know. I trust you to work from home, but now I'm not sure you're actually working. So I'm going to have... Um, you know, technology, make sure you're working, or I'm going to have you do these extra steps. So now I'm emphasizing my mistrust in you or, oh, you're sick. What do you mean you're sick? You're just using the government funding. So you don't come into work. Or what do you mean your kid doesn't have daycare? Oh, you purposely didn't put your kid in daycare. Oh, what do you mean? I have to adjust. I don't have to adjust. These things have caused this dramatic mistrust in the work environment. That if it wasn't critical before, we need to understand how to reset those expectations and reset those psychological contracts and the breach that is involuntary occurring. Because in six months from now, a year from now, if we don't address it, that'll turn to violation and we'll lose more people than ever. Yeah, I do feel like it's a pressure cooker right now, just ready to explode if it hasn't already. Do you have an idea for a small business? Maybe you're trying to grow a business that you've already started. Whatever the case, the Niagara Falls Small Business Enterprise Center is a community service that is here to help. Offering entrepreneurs the tools to start and grow their businesses, the Small Business Enterprise Center is your one-stop for free business information and advice. Serving Niagara Falls and South Niagara, learn more about how we can help you and your business succeed at niagarafalls.ca slash sbec. So many changes that have happened in all of our workplaces, the, the, the trust, um, the fact that there is a labor shortage, right? And so you really need to do everything you can to hang on to the good, the good um, employees in your workplace and, and being in a position where maybe you don't necessarily have the time or the resources to get your managers and supervisors trained um, uh, to deal with these issues. Um, there's just so much in play right now. Um, it, it does feel like it's all about to go kaboom. Yeah, and if I can speak to that a little bit too, I know uh, the Financial Post a couple of days ago just published an article um, looking at some stats can data or statistics Canada data about job vacancies uh, from a national perspective. And they were comparing Q2 of this year to previous years and job vacancies are really high across many industries. So they're finding nationally, it's not industry specific. We're seeing it across the country, across industries. So I dove in a little to look at a local lens. When we look at trends for Hamilton, Niagara, same thing, Q2 job vacancies are very high across many sectors. So we have this kind of phenomenon happening paired with still quite high employment rates compared to what we saw, unemployment rates, sorry, compared to what we saw prior to the pandemic. So we have people looking for work and we have a lot of job vacancies. So this equation isn't adding up. So something in the middle is missing. And 
yeah, I think having these conversations around, you know, what support do employees need in the workplace, but also how can employers be supported as well to know what the workforce needs and bringing those two things together is, is critical. Mm-hmm. I, I think the other big factor too, um, and Alou, I think we've talked about this before, is the fact that the employees that are still working and have been working um, throughout the pandemic have had so much more um, put on their plate, right? They're, they're yeah. working that much harder. And, you know, for those of us who, who worked from home, uh, we talked about this uh, earlier this week, you have found a little more time because you're not traveling, you don't have the conversations in the workplace. And so, you know, we've all done it where you've got back-to-back meetings, you know, you've got a meeting at nine o'clock, at 10 o'clock, at 11 o'clock, um, and that is not sustainable. Correct. And, um, and the expectation that that, you know, can be sustainable is, again, just going to add more fuel to the fire. Can, can you talk about that a little bit, Luke? Yeah, so what we used to have as work-life balance is not work-life interference. It is juggling these pressures from all sides and most people don't know what the heck to do with it, right? And they're getting into this groove, which is a not sustainable groove. It really is unsustainable. And, you know, I, I want to speak to employers about this. So, so first of all, I don't, the messaging is not employers should be going into fear. That is not the messaging. Employers are already fearful. I, I know because I have a lot of clients and they're like, oh, if I say something, he'll, you know, uh, he'll leave or she'll leave. And then I don't have an employee. So I'm just going to put up with it. That is part of the problem. <laughs> that is part of the problem. We're creating this entitlement culture. We're not getting what we need. The frustration is happening. And what happens at the end when we lead by fear? We're all dissatisfied. And I can guarantee you nine to one, you're not getting what you need out of that employee. And you're just as frustrated as if you'd have 10 employees not working in the same capacity, right? So we need to be having the right conversations on accountability, on boundaries, on the quid pro quo relationship, meaning I'm gonna support you, but I need you to work for me, right? We don't have the right language to support that. Um, And to Talia's point, people, or the unemployment's high, people are looking for work. And the reason for that, or part of the reason that that's researched and out there is, I'm not not looking for work. I'm just not looking for work in the same industry I was in. Because I was treated this way before. The pandemic has given me food for thought that I don't want to be treated like that anymore. Life is too hard. So guess what? I'm going to look for another avenue. I might go back to school. I might do something different. Because now I've had time to think. I've had this forced time to think, right? Um, so if you're finding that there's a shortage in your industry, because the reality is there, not, you know, I've heard so many employers say, oh, because they're sitting home collecting CERB, possibly, but not all of them. That would be a very, very minute group because what you collect is nowhere near what you're going to earn. Right. So it's not, you know, you can't support your family with that. But there are many saying, why should I go back to a workplace that I was unhappy in before when the world is so unhappy right now, again, back to the feelings, it matters. I wanna go somewhere where I wanna be. So your workplace needs to be the place where people want to be. It's just reality. Those days of show up to work, I'm gonna give you money and go home are gone. That was baby boomers, that was long gone. We never caught up. The pandemic is forcing us to catch up. Right, so you know, I think as an employer and Scott, you're probably having the same thoughts 
It's like, I, I think, you know, we have a good culture in our workplace. I think employees are happy, but now I'm scratching my head thinking maybe they're not like, how, how do I know? How do I start that conversation? You know, is it as simple as saying, Hey, are you happy? You know, um, how do employees, you know, pull that from their, how do employers pull that from their employees? How do you start that engagement process if you don't already have it in place? Um, Especially when you're, you know, running a million miles an hour, uh, just trying to keep everything going, especially right now. Um, And again, it goes back to the supervisory level or if they don't have supervisors, it's them themselves. It really is identifying the trust relationship, right? I'm not going to tell you how I feel if I don't trust you. So we got to measure that first, kind of have, you know, give, give the employer some tools are saying, is there a trust breach between me and my employees? Do they actually believe what I'm saying? And that will be evident. You don't even have to research this. That will be evident in engagement levels. You will know right away how the trust relationship is by how your employees behave. Mm. You, you will know. Because there's, this is not, oh, we've, you know, we've read a book on leadership. This is actual science backing this up. The attitudinal states are backed up by science saying if employees don't have organizational citizenship behavior, if they're not satisfied in their job, if they're not happy in the workplace or relatively pleased, it's evident. And therefore that tells us there's a breach. And everything in the psychological contract, the mediating factor is trust, perceived fairness, and delivery of the deal. Something within those three are wrong. And I can assure you, if there's a perceived fairness and delivery of the deal issue, there's a trust issue. It just is. So we need to start mending those with the right conversations. We tend to ignore. We tend to disassociate. We tend to say, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm too busy. You're never going to get an engaged employee. Now, if you're happy with a mediocre employee, that's okay. That that's you as a business owner. That's your choice. But at some point, this mediocre employee will either just be dead weight, or leave, or never rise to the occasion. Hence, you'll never grow because you don't have anyone to leverage. Mm-hmm. So it's not a win on all angles. Yeah, I think one of the things too uh, right now, because so many people have been working from home. Now things are are sort of getting back to normal. I've had conversations with people who, you know, have enjoyed working from home, but working from home is not going to be an option for them anymore, and they're unhappy. I've had conversations with people who, you know, were working from home, but really wanted to be in the office, and going back into the office is not going to be an option for them. Uh, Most people that I talk to would love a hybrid um, and, you know, in talking to some employers, um, you know, they, they've been very hardcore one way or the other. Some saying, no, you know, we, we want people in the office. We want people, you know, um, you know, with that, that working as a team and, and we can't achieve that. Um, or I don't know what they're doing, like you said. And I think, you know, again, you know, if we want to retain our employees, it's a new world. You know, we, we've just come through the wild, wild west. And I think flexibility is going to be key. And I think, you know, a good employee working in the office is going to be a good employee working from home. And, you know, how do you, how do you measure that? I mean, we, we have goals. These are the things that we need to achieve this week. If you've worked from home and you've achieved those goals, I'm happy. If you're working in the office and you've achieved those goals, I'm happy. So, what is it? Is it just because we've done it this way? Um, 
our entire lives that it's it's just too hard to to think about it in in a different way and provide that flexibility who wants to tackle that Ali again I wonder if that comes down to even just having those conversations like employers and their employees and have like being able to kind of discuss it together like from the employer's perspectives this is my reasoning this is where I'm coming from so the employee knows you know that's what their perspective is but then also having the opportunity for your workforce to say you know this is where we're coming from too this is why why we're asking for this because maybe sometimes the reasoning behind decisions gets lost or is perhaps assumed so I think taking the opportunity to take the time and talk and listen is is maybe part of why things are shifting um, and maybe perhaps why we see um, I don't know this phenomenon that's going on around us yeah and and it's um it's real we're hearing from a lot of folks actually about employee disengagement and it's because um you know for the last 18 months their work world has been a certain way Mm -hmm. their habits have changed uh they're looking and they feel like they've done a good job uh with the changes and the flexibility and now moving forward that's no longer there and um you know they, they have disengaged and you know, at some point, they're just going to leave. Because there are other opportunities out there, and they'll just find someplace that does have that, that flexibility. It is not easy right now being a a business owner and an employer, because um, it is a lot all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And like, even finding the time to have these conversations, I know, like, it sounds easy, but it's not right. It is an investment on, on both parties, right? Well, and, and the one thing I've always found too is uh, if you have the conversations, and I think this has probably happened over the years many times uh, in different organizations, you have the conversations, but if you don't act on them, that's worse than not having the conversations at all. Because that, that blows your trust completely at that point. 100%. And, and keep in mind, the employer-employee relationship is a quid pro quo relationship. That means that, you know, it's, it's an equal back and forth relationship. And Every time the environmental landscape changes, it traverses into the workplace. When it traverses into the workplace, the workplace must align, which means at that moment, we need to be resetting expectations. That's even in the competitive market. You know, you have you have a TV manufacturer that now creates this. Another TV manufacturer has to create it just to be more competitive, you know, and, and it, it's fast and it, it's moving. You see it in computers. You see it in many, many technological firms. You see it in manufacturing you see it in construction. Oh, we, you know, these, these high rises, now we do mid rises. Like all these people are competing, right? All these businesses globally, not just here. And every time a shift happens, there's some change management in the workplace that has to take place. That doesn't happen. People don't find the time for that because it's unimportant. And it's very, very important because the people who have found the time for that, you will see that they have, you just look at it, they have just progressed dramatically in the business world, right? And and they keep their people and because they reset these expectations. And now because of the corporate citizenship, I'm already bought in. You tell me what you need to be. I am bought in. Um, you know, and this thing about not being able to see the hybrid, you don't see the person and you don't know what they're doing and all these things. This is not new. This is based on the agency theory, which simply says when managers are unable to measure performance physically, they don't know how, so it creates a distrust. 
right? Because again, we're back to training. How, you know, and let's say you don't even have supervisors, you're a business owner. It's important you understand this knowledge because it, it, it's part of the business world. HR strategies are not clerical. Let's give the person an ROE, let's pay their salary. That's not what this is about. An HR strategy propels the business strategy. And so as a business owner, you can only effectively propel your business strategy if you understand the new way of leadership, the new concepts, the, 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 the theories and the knowledge behind it. So you can effectively propel the strategy as a whole. You do business strategy without HR strategy. That's half of it. Because those supporting your business strategy, well, they're people. So you need to have the human relations component on it, unless it's a completely robotic world where you're, you're you know, you're punching in the scripts or or the algorithms. That's not the reality of our world, and it's certainly not the reality of Niagara. We're not there. We're nowhere near that. So we really need to be better at learning new things and being willing to. Yeah, that is good advice, Scott. Whew. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, there's a lot, a lot of information there and a lot of things for both employees and employers to think about moving forward. I guess uh, as we look at the time we're, we're getting on there, any final thoughts as to what a next step would be if you are a, a company looking at trying to fix its culture or, or move forward and get employees on board? Like just a, just a quick synopsis of a last thought moving forward. Here. We'll start with you, Thalia. Sure. Um, so... Part of the work we do comes from looking at you know workforce development from both the employer and employee side kind of rooted in human well-being so how do we meet the unique needs of the workforce and employers um, how do we put into place things like workforce education um, policy development those kind of opportunities to make sure that you know this research and this knowledge we know kind of goes into play in the actual workforce so i think that's the next step looking to see, you know, what, what is important from both perspectives and how can we implement this in the workplace? Hello? Um, you know, I'm still going to dig my heels on, on learning and educating and training, both for the supervisors and business owners, because it, it's unfair um, and presumptuous to think they already know this. If they did know this, we wouldn't have the situation in the business environment. So, you know, it's really a mirror up saying, you guys need to learn some new things. You know, my company trains on this. I know that we're, you know, we're possibly going to be liaising with Dolores. So I'll let her speak more on it. I'm giving you guys an opportunity to say, hey, hands up for us here. We want to learn this. We think we're good or we're all good, but we want to make sure. So we want to make sure we understand what to watch out for. Or, oh boy, we're not good. We really need some help. We will provide those opportunities for you. And, 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 and I, I, I tell everybody, continuous learning is necessary because the world continuously moves. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just add to that. First of all, the results of the survey will be posted on our website and we'll be um, sending it out to the membership next week. Uh, the website, of course, is southniagaracc.com. Uh, so you can, you can check that out. And uh, we are working with Alu and Trusted Time right now to try and develop a program um, for uh, 2022 for supervisors and managers to really learn um, some of these skills um, to help them retain the good staff that they have. So that's coming, coming your way. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, Alu and Thalia. What was a great uh, roundtable this morning and uh, lots of information for everyone to move forward.
It was great being here. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. So, uh, yeah, uh, next week we're going to be joined by uh, a fan favorite, Joel Noden, Director of Marketing and Business Development for Hoco Entertainment, and uh, a good friend, Andrew Nevin, who's the Director of Marketing for Consulman Estate Winery. Can you say peach wine? Uh, we're going to be talking about how their 2021 season went. Uh, maybe we'll have a glass of rosé during the conversation. I don't know. To all of our listeners, send us the topics that you're talking about because we want to talk about them too. Thanks for tuning in and have yourselves a great week.